Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Freestyle Life, a podcast about real people living real lives, managing their diabetes. I'm Elizabeth Estes, and I'm your host for today. In full disclosure, I myself am not living with diabetes, but I am engaged in supporting the community through my family and my friends. The only way those of us not managing diabetes are going to learn how to best help is by asking those who are. On this podcast, we will hear authentic stories, some designed to uplift, and most all designed to teach. We'll speak with experts, advocates, and those attempting to change the diabetes ecosystem for the better. This podcast is in partnership with Abbott because we're in this together and we're stronger together. Welcome to Freestyle Life. Today's guest is difficult to describe in just one or two words as he is a man of many talents. Lee Weir joins us, a famous DJ in his native New Zealand, a barbecue pit master, an ordained independent minister, a Guinness World Record holder, the founder of a mental health charity, a husband, a dad, and he's also living with type 2 diabetes. This is his story today on Freestyle Life. Welcome to Freestyle Life. Lee Weir, as he said it to me, it's weird without the D, all the way from West Auckland, New Zealand. That is indeed. All that right. Is indeed. So how are things in New Zealand? Things aren't bad here, Elizabeth. They're not bad at all. So at the moment, it is a beautiful day uh, looking out my bedroom window right now where I'm sitting. Blue skies, no clouds. It's looking really good. Lee, when I, when I was reading about you and hearing about you, you're kind of like, I don't know, almost like a renaissance guy. You've got so many talents. So radio announcer. Yes, that's correct. I work at a radio station here in New Zealand called The Rock FM. So we play rock music, uh, you know, the Pearl Jam, Queen, the Rolling Stones, Guns N' Roses, and also Imagine Dragons, which is quite nice. You're also, as I understand, an in-demand marriage celebrant. How many have you done? I am. So I am an independent marriage celebrant here in New Zealand, and I'd say I've done probably, I've been a celebrant since 2015, I'd say I've probably done somewhere around the three, maybe 350 mark. Oh, my word. Oh, no. Yeah, oh, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. So to kind of put things in perspective for you, I don't have a free Friday or Saturday in January, February, or March until 2024. So what I want to know is the other, the other, you're known for a couple of other things, but you're a Guinness World Record holder and a backyard barbecue pit master. So do you bring the backyard barbecue pit master to the weddings you celebrate or is those totally separate endeavors? That would be quite a difficult thing to juggle, doing a ceremony <laughs> and then emceeing a reception while making sure that I'm checking on the brisket and the ribs. So I haven't, I haven't done the triple threat yet. So what is your Guinness World Re- What world record do you hold in the Guinness Book of World Records? Technically, my world record has been beaten. However, in 2014, I set the Guinness World Record for the most tattoos of the same cartoon character. So on my left arm, I had 41 tattoos of Homer Simpson in various different guises. And since then... Somebody in Russia has broken my record and has 51 tattoos of the cartoon character Rick from the TV show Rick and Morty. Um, and I actually, after I get off the phone, after we finish this podcast, I have another tattoo session where I will be adding to my right arm, which is now also covered. So in total, I have I will have 83 Homer Simpson tattoos by the time I've finished my session today. And that's okay with me. I kind of think that I know that I've got more tattoos than this guy, and that's all right. So I still say to people that I do hold the Guinness World Record for that. 
I'm just waiting for all of my evidence to be submitted so that I can reclaim that record. Guinness have my information. They have all of my new updated tattoos, and I'm just waiting for them to get that all verified for me. You also, um, on a serious note, so that that's a fun note, and there's so much about you now that we know that's so cool, the Pearl Jam, the Homer Simpson, you know, the being on the radio. But you also did something very serious and very important in the world. You founded um, a mental health charity. Tell us about All Good Club. Yeah, so the All Good Club started uh, with a group of friends and me just who were sick of losing friends to, to suicide. And we thought, you know, we, we know all the statistics around it. You know, it's not, it's, it's not about fishing people out of the bottom of the river anymore. It's about going upstream and finding out, you know, why they're even falling in in the first place. But we just thought, you know, in our small circle, why don't we try and start doing, you know, some small positive things. So um, we jump on with other mental health organizations here in the country and, and help promote and raise funds. There's a really good organization here called I Am Hope, and we work very closely with them, and they're one of the biggest uh, mental health ambassadors and charities in the country. Um, we jump along at festivals and have our stands set up, and I suppose it's, it's all really about just creating those honest conversations with people. You know, mental health is something that needs just as much attention as your physical well-being. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. When did you start that? What What year did you start that, the All Good Club? That was started... Oh, from memory, it was in 2000 and April 2018. That's when it was started. Yeah, that was about the same time you found out that all uh, you found out and you were diagnosed with type two diabetes, right? But right around the same time you started oh, the, the yeah, All Good Club. Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent. So I was diagnosed with type two diabetes in April 2018. Will you? Would you kind of share your journey? How you found out? Absolutely. So I. My mum passed away in 2010. She had bowel cancer. Bowel cancer runs in my family, and I had just turned—I just turned 30, and I thought, man, I really should go and get a colonoscopy done because my mum died when she was 50, 54. Um, no, she, no, gosh, no, she was 52. And I went to my doctor, and the first time I'd seen him, he said, right, what can I do for you, mate? Tell me who you are. What are you about? Had a bit of a chat with him. And I said, look, I'm, I'm 30 years old. I'm married. I've got two children. My mum passed away at the age of 52. She had bowel cancer. And I've just turned 30, and I'd like to get a colonoscopy done. And he straight away said, mate, we can absolutely do that. And then he said, also, mate, we should probably um, check you out, you know, from, from head to toe. And then he said to me, Lee, when was the last time you had blood tests done? And I stopped and had a think, and I couldn't remember ever in my adult life getting blood tests done. And he said, okay, well, we'll send you off for some blood tests, and they'll check everything. And so I went and got those blood tests done, and this was on a Wednesday uh, Wednesday afternoon. And then on Friday, the following Friday afternoon, I was at the barbecue restaurant that I worked for, and I was having lunch. And I got a phone call from my doctor's office, and it was the, it was the triage nurses. And she said to me, she said, Lee, I'm just wondering if you're available to pop in on Monday and see Tony, which is my doctor. And I said, yeah, absolutely. Is everything okay? And she said, and I quote, yep, everything's fine, love. It just looks like you've got a splash of diabetes. And I went, oh, okay, well, that's not good. Uh, and then just freaked out the whole weekend and jumped on Google and don't go on Google. Oh, my gosh. And then I went in on Monday and my doctor said, basically explained in layman's terms to me how a diabetes diagnosis is, is given, which uh, 
a direct relation to the HbA1c count, which is the glucose levels in your bloodstream. So he said, if you are over 50, if the glucose levels in your blood are over 50, you're what's considered a type 2 diabetic. Anything between 41 and 50, you're pre-diabetic. And I said, okay, sweet. Or is it 43 and 50? I'm pretty sure. Um, and I was at 87, and I was quite upset about this. And I said, oh, my gosh, I'm, 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 I don't know why, but I, I, I apologized to him. I said, I'm sorry. And he kind of laughed at me, and he was like, no, no need to apologize to me. And he said, this is totally treatable, mate. This is 100% manageable, not curable, but manageable with weight loss. And I said, okay. Did so, you feel like at that point you, you needed to do that? I mean, did you did you have any assumptions about diabetes before that? And then did you think, well, yeah, he's probably no, right. No, but um, to me, my association, with di- my association with diabetes was that it was all to do with sugar and sweet foods. And my mum was a type 2 diabetic, and she used to have these ghastly sugar-free lollies and, you know, sugar-free gum that you chew. And I just remember that was always my association with the disease is that, you know, you're just – if you've got diabetes, you're someone that just sits down, doesn't exercise, eats ice cream and chocolate and lollies and fizzy drinks by the gallon. And and, and that wasn't me. I mean, I was a big guy. I drank a lot of beer, and I ate a lot of food, but I, I I didn't have a sweet tooth at all. So. It was never on my radar at all. And looking back at it now, some of the things that my body was doing and my body was trying to tell me, um, I was just completely oblivious. So, for example, I was drinking. I I think that I was probably undiagnosed as a type 2 diabetic for a couple of years. I was drinking between six to seven two-liter bottles of water a day. Because wow. I was just always so thirsty. Yeah, and, and everyone that I've spoken to since I was diagnosed has said, mate, that's a telltale sign that you're a diabetic. Your body's saying, look, we need to get rid of some of this sugar in your bloodstream. Best way to do that is chuck it through the kidneys, mate, and you know you can pass it out via urine. So drink some water, bro, and you know then we'll get some of that sugar out. And then, of course, I get that sugar out, and my body's saying, hey, there's not enough sugar in here. We need more for some energy. So I go and eat some more food, and... It was just a vicious cycle. So now that I know what's happening in my body and what's happening to my body when I'm not managing my diabetes well, I pick it up straight away. Like, man, you're drinking quite a lot of water, Lee. Okay, that's not good. Sort yourself out, you know. Oh, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're getting quite tired and you're having sleeps in the afternoon, Lee. That's not good. You know, you haven't done anything really today apart from drop the kids off at school and, you know, make lunch. So, yeah, it was it was, it was was a shock to me to begin with. And, again, because I didn't associate diabetes with um, the sedentary lifestyle that I was living and the portion sizes and meals in which I was doing and the fact that I wasn't actually burning off any of the, the, the carbs and the fuel that I was putting into my body, that it all just stores as fat, which turns to glucose, which presents itself in the form of a type 2 diabetes diagnosis. So I was instantly put on metformin, which is a drug to help regulate my blood sugars, and I was taking one pill in the morning. And I remember saying to my doctor, he said, mate, so, you know, just lose a little bit of weight and you should be able to turn this around. And I said, I was a little skeptical because exercise was not a foreign concept to me. I, I lived quite an active life as a teenager, but then I just got really complacent and, you know, got married and had kids and just thought, ah, oh, bollocks, that's fine. So I said, do I need to join a gym? And he said, well, that depends. Would you enjoy that? And I said, definitely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> and he said, well, he goes, he goes, you've got kids? And I said, yeah. He goes, you've got a dog? I said, yeah. And he said, take the dog for a walk. 
expected, but make sure make sure you go up some hills. You know, get your heart rate up. So my plan my plan was simple: was to eat a little healthier, to eat a little less and to do some form of exercise daily. We're speaking with Lee Weir from uh, West Auckland, New Zealand, uh, uh, marriage celebrant, Guinness, uh, Guinness World Record holder, backyard barbecue pitmaster, and a DJ uh, on the biggest rock station in, in there in New Zealand. Uh, Lee, let me ask you, did, did you share this with your listeners at all? I mean, how, how vocal were you about being diagnosed with type 2? Yeah, so I, I started writing a blog. I was talking to my wife about it, and... She said, you should probably write, you know, do some writing because I just finished studying and had a degree in uh, an arts degree, double major in English and media studies. And I really enjoyed writing essays. Um, and she said, why don't you, why don't you, you know, put this down in writing? And I said, I don't want to do one of those feel sorry for me, you know, pity me blogs. And she said, no, but if you, you know, someone else might be going through something like this and, you know, to have it normalized and to have it spoken about because there's quite a stigma about type 2 diabetes here in New Zealand. In fact, everywhere there's a stigma about type 2 diabetes. So I wrote a very open and honest blog uh, about how I was coping, how I was managing my diabetes, right from the day that I was diagnosed until the day that I actually had done very well with my diabetes management. And yeah, the radio station picked up on it and they said, Lee, we'd love to we'd love to talk about this a little more. Um you know, will you come in with our, our afternoon show and, and we can, you know, do a segment about, you know, how you're doing and we can follow your journey. And I thought, absolutely, man, if anything, that's going to help keep me accountable because now it's not just myself that's banking on me getting these results. It's, it's the, it's the 400,000 listeners that tune in every day to this station that are saying, Hey, God, I wonder how Lee's doing with his, with his journey. And so I really felt motivated and compelled to, to, to get stuck in and to do better because I had these people that were hanging on my journey that were waiting to see what, what was going to happen. And if I let them down, then I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to live with myself. I would have just thought, oh man, this is so bad. Yeah. And when you did that, how did your eating change? I know you really put some thought and effort in and really worked hard on that as well. Yeah, definitely. So the, the the type of meals that we would eat, they weren't bad. I mean, it was it was meat, vegetables, and uh, you know some some sort of potato carby thing, you know. But it was just the portion sizes that were really big. So I remember thinking, if I just do three things: eat a little smaller, eat a little healthier, and cut out eating after dinner because it was the snacking that would get to me. I'd go down and sit down after dinner and, you know, um, put on some TV after the kids are in bed. And before I knew it, my hand was in a bag of potato chips. And then before I knew it, that bag was gone. And it, it, it just happened without even, like, there wasn't even a conversation between my brain and my hand and my mouth. It just, it just happened. So I went out uh, and bought some smaller dinner plates. So that's, and I, and I thought to myself, if I go, and someone said, go and do that. And I was like, really? And they were like, mate, it will, it will trick your head. So you'll, you'll see a plate you'll see a full plate. Yes, it'll be a lot smaller than the plate that you usually eat off, but your brain will think, hey, I've just seen you eat a whole plate of food there, Lisa. You don't need anything else to eat. Um, and because I was home during the day, I was able to you know, make all of my own food. I stopped buying uh, packets of you know, uh, processed food and jar sauces. You will not believe how much hidden sugar there is in you know, things like a, like a spaghetti bolognese pasta sauce. If you make that sauce from scratch, it's so good. Unbelievable. But so I thought, right, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut down my, my portion size. 
I'm also going to eat a little healthier. So if we were having something like spaghetti bolognese, I would have it, uh, I would make the mixture from scratch. I'd buy lean beef and I would have it on a bed of steamed broccoli or something like that. So because the kids aren't going to eat what I'm eating, they're not going to, they're not going to eat spaghetti bolognese with, with cauliflower and broccoli um, because they want some pasta and that's okay. They're kids. It's all right. Um, so I was realistic about the fact that my family, my wife was very supportive and she ate those meals with me, but I still needed to, you know, keep the kids a little, a little more interested in dinner as opposed to just seeing a whole bunch of stuff that they've not usually eaten before. So that was, that was a lot of fun. So when, when you did this, you had a little, you, you had some success in the beginning. If you were to characterize your journey, has it been all smooth sailing or have there been peaks and valleys along the way? No, no, yeah, peaks and troughs, definitely peaks and valleys. So in the first three months, uh, that was my plan, was just to go hard, to eat better, to exercise daily, and to eat less. And I actually, my HbA1c count in that three months from um, when was it? From April to August, actually saw me nearly half my HbA1c count. So I was at 87 when I first got diagnosed. And when I went back after three months and got my next set of blood tests done, it was at 43. And wow. my doctor was just blown away. He was like, mate, how have you done this? And I got quite emotional, actually. And I had a bit, started crying. And I said, mate, it's, it's been really hard. And he was like, oh, so you've been starving yourself. And I said, no, I, I just, I did what you told me to do, to eat a little healthier, to eat a little less, and to do some exercise. And he was like, well, mate, keep this up. He said, do you remember when you came in here, you told me that your goal was to, at the very least, be in the pre-diabetic range before your 10-year wedding anniversary in March. And I said, yeah. He goes, mate, it's July, and you're nearly there. He goes, if you keep this up, we'll be able to take you off medication entirely, and medically, you won't be considered a type 2 diabetic. It still has the ability, all dependent on you, to rear its ugly head again and say, hey, Lee, remember me? Yep, you're eating badly again. You know, you're not exercising. Guess who's back? But if you keep it at bay and you keep doing what you're doing, mate, we won't need to medicate you at all. This is, he said, mate, you are my star pupil. This is unbelievable. So I got really excited and was real happy. And on my way home from on my way home from the doctor's appointment, I stopped and I bought a couple of chocolate ice creams, which I hadn't had in so long, which was so good. Um, went home and sat down with my wife and my kids and told my wife my results. And we, you know, we had a little cry together. And Lucy said, "What's wrong? What's wrong, Dad?" And I said, "Oh no, these are happy tears, sweetheart." I said, "Dad's not sick anymore." And the first thing she said was, does that mean you can have some lollies now? <laughs> so you were super excited. And then, you know, the world changes, COVID hits. What happens then? So once once I'd gotten those results and I was feeling really good about myself, I just got really complacent. I, I just got really bad and really lazy. I thought to myself, right, you've done it now, Lee. You're doing really well. Now you can do some of those things that you, that you used to like to do. And, uh, you know, you can, you know, go and drink some more beers and eat some more food and, you know, not exercise every day. It was it was it was quite a, a gradual slide from being really good and doing everything that I needed to be doing to dropping one or two of those things and being like, right. And it was just that mentality, and it was all my fault. I let myself go from being, you know, someone who was had done really well, who had a lot of people following his journey, and who had had a lot of people that were there loving and supporting him, to someone who just thought, you know what, this doesn't matter anymore. I'm okay. I'm going to do what I want to do which is what I had been doing prior to my diagnosis. And I was having a lot of fun and it just caught up with me. And I went for another blood test and my doctor said, okay, so you've not been taking your medication. I said, no. And he goes, well, it'll be interesting to see where your, where your bloods are. And I said, okay. 
So I got a blood test and they went from being at 43 to 57, which again, for a type 2 diagnosis, is anything over 50. And I was seven above that. So he actually said to me, he said, Lee, this still does show reasonable control for someone who's been unmedicated for three months. So, you know, it's not the best thing in the world, but get back to doing what you were doing and you'll be fine. And again, got back to doing what I was doing, did really well, was doing great, and then just got real bad. And then COVID hit, and we had uh, we had lockdown here in New Zealand. We went straight into lockdown for six weeks on the 27th of March, 2020. And I did a lot of eating and a lot of drinking during that time, um, and just got really, really bad. And that's when it did affects my mental health. I mean, you chuck a global pandemic on top of a six-week lockdown where you're trying to homeschool your kids and they're not having any of it because they don't want to be doing schoolwork when they're not actually at school. And then, you know, you can't go anywhere, you can't do anything, and the only thing that you think to do is, hey, well, I'll, you know, I'm home, there's nothing to do, let's cook some food, let's eat some food, let's, let's, let's do some drinks. So I got really bad with that, and my last diabetes uh, test, uh, my HbA1c count was at, at 108. Oh, which is really bad. That's really bad. Um, and again, I mean, the the onus for that is entirely on me. It, it's entirely my doing. So the only person that is going to have to change it is me. And I'm doing really well at the moment. I've lost close to 14 kilos. And I'm feeling a lot better about that now. Um, it's, I'm not so lethargic during the day. I'm not drinking as much water. I'm feeling really good and really positive about where I am. My next blood tests, which are due in a couple of weeks, will hopefully show some some progress there. Um, but yeah, I'm feeling kind of like I was feeling when I was on the road to doing really well after my very first diagnosis. So I'm I'm, gonna, I'm pumped to see what's happening. So when you when you think about these fits and starts, right? You're doing great, then all of a sudden it, it changes, and you and you're thinking about the the star, stops and the starts and the good then the bad. What advice would you give someone else who has who is living with type two diabetes? What advice would you give? Well, that's a really good question. I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd probably look. It's, it's totally normal to have those feelings. You know, no one's no one's perfect. You're going to have highs. You're going to have lows. And when you're in the highs, you're loving it. You're relishing your successes. It's really good. And when you're lows, you're probably thinking, man, there's no way I want to be able to crawl back out of this. For me, being able to talk to people about how I'm feeling is huge. So if you don't have a decent support crew around you, you need to find someone that, at the very, very least, is going to sit there and listen. Because I don't need to be told what to do. I just need someone to listen to how I'm feeling. And my wife's really good at that. I'll sit down and I'll talk to her about how I'm feeling. And instead of giving me answers, she'll say, okay, so what are you going to do about that? I've heard how you're feeling. You know, that's not good. I'm sorry you're feeling that way. But, you know, what do you want to do about that? How can I help? What can we do? What can we do to do that? So when you speak life into your problems, they kind of sting a little less. So it's, it's, it's so big to be able to talk to someone about how you're feeling. And if you don't have someone like that in your life, in your personal life, Go and talk to a doctor. Absolutely. Go and seek medical advice because there's nothing worse than trying to deal with something on your own. But you also have to be willing to change and you have to want to change. There's that old saying that you can't help someone that doesn't want to change or that doesn't want to help themselves. That's so true. If you, I mean, and I was like that for a while when I was when I was doing really bad. It was that whole, oh, you're gonna you're gonna go to the gym today, Lee? Oh, nah, nah, that's okay. I don't think I will. And I didn't want to. And it wasn't until I saw the results that I had that were actually really bad and thought, you know what, mate, you actually can't keep doing this. 
you've got kids, you're about to have another kid, you need to sort it out because you want to be around to teach those kids how to drive and to take them to their school ball and to their prom and to teach them, you know, you know, teach my son how to shave. Absolutely. The advice that I'd give would be to to know your triggers, to know what's happening when it's happening and to be able to identify that. And if you can't identify that, to be able to talk to somebody about how you're feeling and to get some, to get some help from, from someone else who's around you or your support crew. And, and if not someone around you, go and talk to a doctor or, or something like that, a medical professional. You mentioned Lucy, your daughter. Are, are your kids aware of, of diabetes? I mean, you, you talk about the fact you remember it as a kid with your mom with the lollies, but are your, is, your, is your kid's experience with you similar to the experience you had with your mom? Probably actually very much so, actually, because my kids are always saying, oh, you can't have this, Dad, because it's got too much sugar in it, or you can't have this, Dad, because it's too sweet. Um, and then I'll explain to them, actually, I can have that if I want. I just need to make sure that I don't have too much of that. You know, everything in moderation, including moderation. They know that, you know, I need to be exercising daily. They know that I need to not eat so much. And they do call me out on snacking late at night, like, you shouldn't be eating that, Dad. And I'm like, no, no, you're right. And I'll tell you what, if anything's going to get you to sort your life out, it'll be your kids. Well, you made a difference uh, for everybody who's listening to this podcast. And there is no doubt that you are living your best life. Uh, Lee Weir from West Auckland, New Zealand. We are so grateful that you joined us today. But, you know, look, it was my absolute pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you so much for having me. So that's a wrap on this edition of Freestyle Life, a podcast brought to you in partnership with Abbott. We want to thank Lee for joining us and for all of you as well. If you have ideas for this podcast, questions that you'd love answers to, or guest suggestions, we'd love to hear from you please drop us an email at ideas at freestylelifepodcast.com. We'll talk with you next time. Until then, here's hoping we are all living our best lives. The views, positions, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect the views of Abbott Laboratories. The views, positions, and opinions represented, as well as any reference to a specific product or entity, do not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Abbott.